0: I'm Mark Oppenheimer, and this is Unorthodox.
1: My name is Barb Feig. I'm an almost lifelong resident of Squirrel Hill. It really is a unique place within the Jewish community. Unlike other large cities, the core and the bulk and the majority of the Jews still live in in a neighborhood inside the city limits. It has been the Jewish community that has kept it a vital neighborhood, has kept the merchants going there. It has been, not that we have to get along because we're on top of each other, but we get along and we're on top of each other. You see each other on the street. People wish each other a good Shabbos, whether they're coming out of the grocery store or coming out of the synagogue. You know, There's that six degrees of separation that people talk about between one person and another. Pittsburgh Jewish community, one and a half tops.
2: Hi, I'm Jess Knock. I'm from Pittsburgh, and I actually happened to be at home. I wasn't at services yesterday morning. I received a, a text message from my boss that just said, please tell me you're at home today. And it just kind of all unfolded from there. Whose number do I have? Who can I text? And what about a lot of the older families that I know, and I go in and I see them and I know them by name or I know their face? but I don't have a phone number. Like, who's okay? Who is accounted for? What is going on? So I, I had a friend come and pick me up, and they, they had a gathering at the JCC, where I think you've been now, and they had grief counselors and all these people, but I guess, unrealistically, when I walked through the door, I, f- I thought I would see all the people that I know. And everybody would be standing there waiting to tell me that they were present and accounted for and okay. And so they weren't, obviously, but you just, you could sit and you could talk to people and you waited for information. And you waited and you waited. The best hope you could have was that everybody ran late.
0: These are voices from the vigil that was held Sunday evening at Sailors and Soldiers Memorial Hall and Museum in Pittsburgh.
3: Sam Weinberg. I am the principal of one of the day schools here in Pittsburgh. We've been talking to professionals both locally and throughout the country on how to deal with trauma and crisis interventions. Um, we're going to give them a safe place to talk about their feelings, you know, do our best to try to keep things as normal. Kids thrive under routine and, and with schedules and try to keep you know life-must-go-on type of mentality at the same time, give them a chance to grieve and appropriately. And, to, and also to respond to the communal aspects of this, where participate in shivas and funerals and community programs and whatnot.
1: My name is Eileen Cohen. I don't know that, that there are words for this. Um, as you've probably heard, we are, Pittsburgh is an incredibly close Jewish community because many of us have lived here for generations. I'm third generation, my children are fourth generation here in town. Oh, yeah. I think because we really are a family, I, I think what you just witnessed of me seeing somebody that I haven't seen in so many years, and it's like we just we just saw each other yesterday, that is what this community is. We're just a very tight-knit community. Whatever somebody needs, we're going to be there for one another. That's what's going to enable healing.
4: Hi, I'm Stacy Stuffelbeam.
1: Todd Stuffelbeam.
4: We've been here almost eight years. It's an incredible community. It's friendly and warm. We have five sons, one lives in New York, and four are lone soldiers in Israel. It's surreal. The irony isn't lost on us that we are always so worried about our sons serving in the IDF or our friends, uh, you know, when there's a terrorist attack or or rockets, and the shoe's on the other foot. This this
1: is a change maker. Everything is different from this day forward don't know what that means
2: yet. This is what it's about. Abraham built his tent for everyone. And people have been wonderful. People are wonderful here.
3: Something about Pittsburgh that I think you'll see is is how connected we all are. That's just the flavor of Pittsburgh. We'll just be here for one another.
4: The Pittsburgh community is a unique community. I don't think there's any division between whether you're Orthodox Reform, Lubavitch or Conservative. Everyone here really gets along. And we're a really connected community. God willing, we'll never have to do this again.
0: Unorthodox is the podcast of Tablet Magazine. Every week, we talk about Jewish life and the news of the Jews with all of you, Jews and non-Jews from all 50 states and over 50 countries. Just last week, I was saying on the show that we need to get out of New York City. We need to get away from the coast to meet more Jews where they are, in the places in between. Well, I got what I was asking for, didn't I? On Saturday morning, I emerged from synagogue with my eldest daughter and checked my phone for the first time all day. There was a message from Tablet's editor-in-chief, Alana Newhouse. It said, we're going to Pittsburgh. So it's not a normal episode this week. It's not a normal week. On Sunday morning, less than 24 hours after the shooting at the Tree of Life Synagogue, my co-hosts, Liel Leibowitz and Stephanie Butnick, joined Alana and other staffers from Tablet as they left New York to drive to Pittsburgh. They arrived around midday, and they spent the rest of the day and on into Monday talking with the people of Squirrel Hill, the old Jewish neighborhood where, it so happens, my ancestors moved when they got here from Germany. It's where my father, grandfather, and great-grandfather were all confirmed at Rodev Sholem Congregation. It's where my dad played Little League. It's where he spent his elementary years at Whiteman School. I wish I could have been there with the rest of the unorthodox team as they met the people of Squirrel Hill and listened to them. I couldn't, but like the rest of you, I get to listen now. We'll start with Alana Newhouse, talking with Liel and Stephanie on Sunday night.
5: My impulse was that as reporters we have to go and help the people who are going through something reflect um, the story or their reality as they see it. Um, And at the end of the uh, really, really very long day I feel like I was the one that was completely changed. Which is not something that I think I've ever said after uh, reporting a story like this. I don't think I had anything to tell these people. I think they had everything to tell everyone else. I think that there's something about the way that people in this community live their lives and connect to each other and have maintained human connections that feels rare and precious right now. And I'm so sad that we're showcasing them in because of something terrible that happened to them. but. I'm so affected by the way that they've maintained it's not it's not simply historically Jewish values although they are rooted in them they are human beings and they are completely attached and committed to each other on a very daily level in a way that I don't see a lot of communities experience anymore
3: I think there's something
6: immense about being here just hearing from the people we talk to about life in a community in which people belong to multiple shuls you know in which people have real ties to each other across lines that in so many sections of the Jewish community we never cross uh, orthodox versus reform versus conservative you know Sephardi versus Ashkenazi uh, well-off Jews versus blue-collar Jews Uh, it Feels incredibly cohesive, and and to be welcomed here so warmly by anyone—not um, at some you know leisurely moment, but you know right after this major tragedy strikes. Man, I, I feel. Yeah, I think I feel changed.
7: And
5: I think we should say a bit about where we are, because I think that does tell part of the story. We're sitting in the dining room of Amy and Lou Weiss, who are just pillars of this community. And throughout the night, people have been dropping in to see, to check in and to see how everyone is doing. One person came in and dropped off our coworker, who she had been <laughs> on a plane with and chatted, started chatting with, and they realized they were going to the same place. So basically, to me, this is a city that feels like a small town. The thing that I think is actually the challenge for everyone right now, Kathy, basically, her argument to me was, there's nothing inherently special about the humans who live here. And my argument was, well, something special, because I know that this community feels different to me than other places. And she said, well, it makes me uncomfortable to talk about people as though they're special. I said to her, well, Kathy, what if there's actually a lesson in this for everyone else? What if there's a way for the rest of us, not in the wake of tragedy, but actually because we are all feeling increasingly lonely. What if there's a way for us to make our lives better by using you guys as a model? I felt super privileged to definitely have experienced those feelings and that idea, and I guess part of what I'm gonna take into the coming weeks is a sense of my challenge in figuring out how to help express what it is that we saw here.
0: While they were in Squirrel Hill, Alana and Liel and Stephanie spent a lot of time in the living room of Lou and Amy Weiss, longtime Squirrel Hill residents who run a carpet sales business. Lou mentioned that he had written an essay for the Wall Street Journal called, Amalek Comes to Pittsburgh. He agreed to read part of it for us. Here's Lou Weiss.
8: There are not so many of us Jews in the world, something like 0.2% of the population. So we pride ourselves on punching above our weight we introduced some of the fundamental ideas of Western civilization. The sanctity of human life, uniform morality, freedom, concern for the downtrodden, the weekend. Sadly, we are also above average in attracting evil people who hate what we stand for. This murderer, like all anti-Semites, resents the ideas that we carry in this world. Concern for the downtrodden? Who's more downtrodden than a refugee? The archetype for all anti-Semites is Amalek. His cowardly specialty was picking off the old, weak, and infirm stragglers at the back of the Exodus pack. Saturday's murderer was Amalek brought to life, as he mainly killed old and mentally challenged members of all three of the resident congregations. For a couple of years, I was head of the congregation that merged with Tree of Life. For many years, I was a late arriving regular at the Shabbat morning service that was attacked. I knew five of the people who were murdered. They were more than good and lovely people. They were the stalwarts who would show up on time and help out. Rose Malinger, 97, would always be there sitting next to her sister. Saturday, she was next to her daughter, Andrea, who, like the whole family, is possessed of a permanent smile. Andrea was shot. (coughs) Rose was murdered. Cecil Rosenthal, 59, knew my wife from childhood. He had special needs and a youthful exuberance. His younger, thinner brother, David, had more serious mane and spoke less. He, too, had special needs. Like his older brother, he was murdered. Irv Younger, 69, was a sweet man with a shock of white hair who would do anything that needed to be done at the shul. Murdered. Jerry Rabinowitz, 66, was a member of Dor Hadash, a synagogue that rented space in the social hall. A family doctor... He escaped the initial assault and returned to help the survivors. He was murdered. Because we are so few, we feel the pain when a Jew is in trouble anywhere. When someone is killed by a terrorist in Israel or held captive in the former Soviet Union, it is very much our business. We are used to making calls to see if our friends or relatives throughout the world were hurt in an attack. Now it is our turn to receive those calls. What happened to our wonderful close community Saturday has now become the business not only of the Jews, but of all civilized human beings. The heartbreak will never go away. The best way to honor the people who were murdered would be to emulate their decency and goodness. In last week's Torah portion, we read about how Abraham bargained with God to preserve the occupants of stone. Beyond their signature activity, the sodomites committed real crimes related to their treatment of strangers. Abraham asks for God's forbearance if he can find 10 good men in the city. He couldn't, and subsequently 10 became the minimum number for a Jewish prayer service. The number of Jews murdered at the Tree of Life Saturday was 11.
0: That was Lou Weiss reading from his essay, Amalek comes to Pittsburgh. While they were in Squirrel Hill, Liel and Stephanie put a tape recorder in front of everyone they could find. Here's a little selection of all the things they heard, starting with my aunt, Alice Schreiber, and her longtime best friend, Maxine Horn.
7: Squirrel Hill's the center of Jewish life in Pittsburgh. There's a Jewish-founded hospital here that's now part of the University of Pittsburgh Medical Center called Montefiore Monofjur was a very big deal because it was started, I think, by Jewish, young Jewish doctors who couldn't get into the practices, you know, with Gentiles and and the high, they couldn't get on privileges at the hospitals. So they made their own hospital and it turned out to be a great hospital. It's a very tight knit community. My sophomore year in college, or maybe it was my freshman year, I met Dave at a party at Christmas, break, a vacation, but I came with somebody else. I, came, I had a different date, but I met Dave there. He was history, <laughs> the other guy, oh my God, Peter Block. And so, but we still know all the people that were at that party, the ones that are still living. I should have you talk to my good friend, Maxine Horn. A party was at her house. Her name was Maxine Abrams then. But she knows all this stuff and she has very interesting relatives. Her grandmother made Ali out of Israel. How old was she, Dave? Her, her Max. She was she was she was like eighty years old and she said goodbye to Maxine's grandmother and she said goodbye to everybody and she got on the ship and she went to Israel. And that was the last time anybody ever saw her. I mean, they have a really interesting but she'd be glad to talk to you. She, she's, she's my age and she still works at the Jewish Family and Children's, okay. Family and Children's Service. Okay. Vaccine.
9: All right. So I'm just going to start rambling and you take from it what you want. Squirrel Hill is a neighborhood, I guess a large neighborhood, some of which is very elegant and um, privileged. Other areas are anything but, but we all went to common schools and somehow we all got to know each other. By the time we got to high school, there was only one high school. So if we didn't know each other before high school, we certainly rubbed elbows in high school, unless we went to private schools, at least went to private schools. So she, you know, she doesn't know from from us common folk. Growing up, all I knew were Jewish people. I didn't know any people who weren't Jewish. Um, of course, there were non-Jewish people in my in my classes, um, and we were friendly, but I mean, we didn't really socialize because the pressure from the families was great to maintain Jewish identity. So we all did that. Reform, conservative, uh, Orthodox for sure. So our friendships were based on our religion, I would have to say. Much different from what it is now. Very much different from what it is now. The Orthodox uh, segment of the community is the one that's growing uh, by leaps and bounds, the modern Orthodox in particular, the Reform, very popular, but Reform today is not what it was when we were growing up. Elise went to Rodef Shalom, which I assume she told you about. The rest of us called it St. Rodef. Yeah, we did. Uh, it was, And my husband grew up at Rodef. Um, so... Into the new reform idiom, that they were, (laughs) they had all but no Hebrew, they had no bar and bat mitzvah. Um, Confirmation was the big thing to the point where several years ago, when the then new rabbi started to wear uh, tallit, half the congregants nearly dropped dead because that was just way too Jewish, you know? So, I mean, it's accepted now, but it sure wasn't then. So, it's an interesting, that, that all by itself is an interesting little sidebar that won't have any bearing, excepting to tell you that there's all kind of people who live here who are Jewish.
3: I'm Jeremy Feinstein. I grew up in Squirrel Hill. And I live uh, about a block from the synagogue where the shooting happened. My kids are actually the fifth generation of my family to live in in the Squirrel Hill area, and so there's there's really an interesting sense of rootedness about it. That you know, every store has a history that everybody knows. Every house has a history. People tend to refer to houses as you know, the old Goldberg house or the old Feinstein house or whatever, um, rather the current owner. It's a very um, settled in community. It is, as I'm sure you've heard in lots of news stories, it is the neighborhood where Mr. Rogers lived, and it has that kind of feel to it. It has some wooded rolling hills and, and houses kind of close together all around it, so so people tend to know their neighbors. And it, it, it has a little bit of a throwback feel where people's kids walk around and walk places instead of getting rides a lot, and you do feel like, hey, if my kid goes into the sort of shopping part of the neighborhood that whatever adults are there are people who know me or my wife or my parents and if my kids were in trouble or doing something bad that I would hear about it and it it
10: creates a really nice comfortable sense of community there um so my name is Ben Ross I'm 27 years old and I grew up in Squirrel Hill um uh on Bennington Avenue very close to, to the Tree of Life Synagogue um until you leave Squirrel Hill, you, you take it for granted. I think um, just the how tight knit the community is, you know how there's just a number of synagogues and Jewish people around you on a on a daily basis, um, and how it can become very you know, you can become very comfortable within the fabric of the community. It was you know surreal seeing the houses uh, and streets that you know. That I grew up around on, on television and and in such a jarring and, and shocking situation um, that was that was really overwhelming but I you know I, I just don't see many things changing as a result of this about how people carry out their their lives or how they think about it um, so many people that I know that weren't in Pittsburgh this weekend, want to be back there immediately. Um, just to be there, to experience this with everyone and to be supportive of of everyone. You know, wherever I I go in life, um, you know, I'm always from Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh is is my home. But within that, my my identity is being from Squirrel Hill and and the friends that I've made there. And that's where my whole family is. And that's what I'll always come back to as, as a part of this Squirrel Hill diaspora of people that gone across the country and across the world um that's the the common thread is is our upbringing that's a, a lifeblood along Forbes Avenue and um the, the streets that really uh, connect us all together I, I would be really fortunate to to get to to move back there and, and and raise a family there eventually i think that everyone who leaves um always plans on coming back and i i wouldn't say that that's any different for me
11: My name is Kathy Cohen-Drose, and I've lived in, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. I only left this city for probably about, I've lived in the city all but about my college years and about four years after that. And other than that, I have always lived in Pittsburgh. Amy Steiner-Weiss, and I've lived here my whole life within a 20-block radius Mm -hmm. for my entire life except four years when I went away to college. And um, very happy, proud Pittsburgh. I am Molly Weiss, and I'm a yoga teacher in Pittsburgh and from Pittsburgh. And I have also lived here, luckily, my entire life. My parents met when they were seven in Squirrel Hill, within 20 blocks of where we're sitting now. And my in-laws, Lou's parents, almost the exact story, and the four of them went to same high school, all within two years of each other. And I met Lou in high school. And I don't think my story is as you... You're looking at me like, really? I'm looking at you like, that's so sweet. I don't um, think that story is... It's unusual as here. As unusual as you would think. You know, that is a little bit... You know, but there are a lot of stories like that where... And I think that's another thing that makes Pittsburgh... Pittsburghers so... You know committed and so um i don't know connected connected thank you connected to pittsburgh and connected to different people and to each other here right connected to each other and the people here because that story is a very common story here
5: i'm i'm alana newhouse i hope to live in pittsburgh (laughs) one day very very soon
0: all right you know how in every tragedy There emerges one of those stories of somebody who fled some other horrible tragedy far away only to leap into the jaws of this new one. Well, listen to this. Liel and Stephanie met David Sahel, a Jew who had left his native France after horrible anti-Semitic crimes there and ended up in, yes, Squirrel Hill. When you think about it, this is about as Jewish a story as there is. Leave one place, go to another, and find more of the same.
12: Grew up in France, moved to the United States after high school, Um, lived in New York for about six years, Um, got married there, then we had to come back to France because of visa and economic crisis, was working in financial services. And we stayed there for about 10 years. We had another kid. Um, And, you know, we've been seeing a lot of anti Semitism, and it's not just that, it's also the way people around react uh, that made us think that we're, you know, we're not in our place. And so we tried to come back two years ago, after the, the, the killing at that grocery store, we, you know, it was just a wake up call. We lost a friend there. We knew people that were there. Um, this is really close by to where we live, that my wife was on her way to shop there before picking up the wow. kids in school. And the school is in the same city.
6: It's right nearby. If you could try and take us back to that night. So this horrible, horrible attack happens. And then, what is the conversation like around the dinner table that night?
12: It's really around. I mean, that night it's Friday night, and we, I mean, we didn't know what was happening inside there. Chavez was already on, so we tried. I mean, we had no way of knowing what was happening, and we were hoping for good news, even though we knew there were going to be bad. And at what point
6: does the possibility of leaving become real?
12: So. It, came right away. I mean, we're always, we did leave France for a while. We lived in the United States. We had to come back because of the economy and visa. And we've been thinking about coming back here ever since. And we've been seeing the way things are moving in Europe and it's getting worse and worse. Um, so that was one of the project, and we just accelerated it. It took us two years to manage to get here on good terms. Job wise, but we did. My parents moved there two years ago already, and my sister too.
5: And so, why Pittsburgh?
12: So, my dad is a doctor, um, he's a scientist, uh, he does research in UPMC, University of Pittsburgh. Um, offered him a great job. We thought that Pittsburgh was a good Jewish life, um, good schools, a lot of synagogues, and it seemed like a
6: good place to land. And so, what was this Saturday morning like for you coming from Paris where you're not a stranger to these kinds of attacks? Did, did you ever think it could happen in Pittsburgh?
12: So I've been telling people for two months that we need to up the security level in the synagogues and in schools. Um, it sucks to be right, especially on this one. and I mean it felt yeah, it felt like something we knew I've been helping with security in Paris with you know my synagogue and the area where we're work in. and so, yeah, this was all too familiar.
6: And so where were you
12: on Saturday morning when you heard the terrible news? I was just coming in to Shul and we saw the first cop car and then the second round of cop cars. Into Tree of Life? No, no, another one.
5: Oh. Oh. Are they all really close to each other? No,
12: the Square Hill is really close. It's it's a small neighborhood now, all of the shuls are around, like one mile from each
6: other, it's, it's tiny. And so you start seeing all these cop cars and what and do you then, do next?
12: Well, you know, we go into security mode, rush to shore, put the kids in groups, ask them not to leave. And then the synagogue was already on lockdown. So we just follow the day and try to get news from what we could, uh, give news to the people in France that are, could be worried about us, and family. Mm -hmm. So everyone was saying like, you know, you move all that way to get back to what you just had. But that's, that's the story
3: so how do you handle that that do you feel
12: we're Jews I and mean, we know people don't like us and uh, I mean anti-semitism is not new and
6: it's not going away is this attack in any way going to change your routine your life here in Pittsburgh
12: no not at all. we life goes on we continue going to shore and we'll continue going to taking the kids to to school. Like everywhere, you have to be careful. You're in Israel, you're careful. You're in France, you're careful. You're in here, you have to be careful. The reaction around is the difference. Uh, Yesterday, we've seen people driving by the synagogue, opening their windows and telling them that they're with us and they, The reaction of the people around is the difference. You didn't see that in Paris? No. People will tell that, you know, there was a huge march and everything, but most of it was for the journalists that were killed two days before that. And no one realized that it was, again, an attack on Jews. And the journalists were attacked because of what they said and because they were also trying to attack. And I'm not defending anyone. It was awful and no one should die because of what they say and what they think. But the other guys, you know, got killed because they were shopping in the wrong store.
5: I feel like people were able to sort of gloss over that
12: in a way, but here I I
5: don't think they can, right?
12: No, I mean, we've seen, I mean, uh, solidarity here. I mean, you've been to the vigil, you've seen uh, everything around. It's, it's,
6: yeah. Does that make you feel like you've made a good choice?
12: I do. I do. Yeah.
5: And what have you learned about the community here? In the past
12: few months and in the past few days. It's an incredible community. It's very strong, very together. Um, In every community on the Shabbat between um, Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah, there's usually a huge trash and the rabbis in each synagogue gives a big speech to their congregation. In here, all of the congregation get together and they choose one rabbi among all of them to give a speech to everyone. This is the first time I've seen something like this, and I've, you know, I've been around. Uh, and this is, It's an amazing community. It's an
0: amazing little community, and
13: yeah.
0: Back at Lou Weiss's house, Liel talked some more with Lou, and with Lou's friend Daniel Schiff, a rabbi who had dropped by.
6: People stayed in the city, and geographically, Squirrel Hill is compact and therefore you run into each other all the time, and therefore you're physically close, which creates a certain spiritual and community closeness as well.
8: I think a lot of it really had to do with the schools. I mean, the schools were pretty stable. I think, actually, some people, when there was uh, busing, you know, took that opportunity to leave to go to the suburbs. Frankly, people were concerned about the schools. There's decent public schools. There's public high school, Alderdice, where... uh, You know, for decades and generations, I mean, Jews have gone to. And it's not that it's such a nice place, it's fairly decrepit, but there's a certain dynamism between both the Jewish community and the universities are in Pittsburgh, in the city, and the health, main healthcare facilities are in the city. And you put all that together and you get, you know, people that want to be, I think, in the same community, Jewish and non Jewish.
6: Look, I'll give you my personal background by way of explaining this. When I moved to Pittsburgh I came here from Melbourne, Australia and uh, the Melbourne community is a is a wonderful community but when I came here to Pittsburgh and I famously said I was going to stay in, a, in this small town two, three years maximum and I was going somewhere Jewishly more dynamic. Uh, when I came here uh, I discovered a cohesiveness that you're referring to, which I think is really distinctive. It's not that people aren't in their denominational camps. They are in their denominational camps. They're conservative and reform and orthodox and Chabad, and uh, they all have their own shuls. It's just that here, those delineations don't matter so much as they seem to matter elsewhere. Here it doesn't become a vitriolic dispute where we can't do things together. Here it's, okay, you do it this way, we do it that way, let's get together and do something. And the community simply has respect for each other, respect for rabbis across denominations, respect for the various different expressions of Judaism. And we believe that getting things done together is a better way than knocking our heads against each other and going our separate ways. So the community attracted me, and I stayed here. I think it's a real distinction. I think that there are, that there are real stylistic differences between Jews who live in New York and Jews who live in Melbourne and Jews who live in Pittsburgh. And I think part of it is the the, the, the Pittsburgh mentality is is a much more easygoing mentality. It's a it's a it's a sense of we are going to be stronger if we work together than if we do go at this uh, go with this separately. And part of it. Is simply about the the size. We're, we're big enough to be a good, strong community, and yet small enough where, as Lou indicated before, most people know each other when they bump into each other. And so those personal connections are very important, and people don't want to lose those personal connections and friendships. So why did little, little
8: ideology come between you? Sure, I'm sure, sure there were things at school growing up, but very little. I mean, certain kids from certain neighborhoods didn't like kids from other neighborhoods. But it was not something that you felt. Although when you think back, I can think back to another, there are specific instances over time where you'd have someone, uh, there was a rabbi that was killed in Squirrel Hill. I don't know if they ever caught the murder for that some years ago. And then there was another attack at a synagogue out in the South Hills. Actually, when you start stringing them all together, it's like, wow, what's going on here? But you figure that that's over a period of 70 years, 60 years. I guess that may happen. Um, but, you know, I was, maybe my childhood was lucky, but I didn't feel that. Maybe because my, one of my synagogues was the JCC at that point. But, um, no, I mean, uh, an occasional thing here or there, but nothing at yeah, all. Yeah,
6: I, I, I would add that th- there's this concern now that Pittsburgh becomes associated with this dark stain of the worst anti-Semitic attack in, in U.S. history. I think what hopefully will become the end result, is that Pittsburgh becomes associated with this secret of a community that people came to discover that they hadn't really known about, and that has something to offer in terms of uh, uh, a model of perhaps how the Jewish world might might think a bit more kindly about internal dynamics.
0: Finally, we wanted to share some of what was heard on Sunday night at the vigil. You're going to hear the voices of Jeffrey Finkelstein, Rabbi Cheryl Klein of Dor Chadash, and Rabbi Chazan Jeffrey Myers of Tree of Life, or Simcha.
13: We needed to be here because at times like these, we need community. We need the comfort of each other. We need love, not hate. And we need that giant hug that this Pittsburgh Jewish community always gives. We lost more than a mignon of our community yesterday. The traditional Jewish way to respond to news about the death of an individual is to say, "Blessed is the judge of truth," or in Hebrew, "Baruch Dayan HaEmet." And when eleven people are slaughtered, we say it eleven times: "Baruch Dayan HaEmet," "Baruch Dayan HaEmet," "Baruch Dayan HaEmet," "Baruch Dayan HaEmet," "Baruch Dayan HaEmet." Baruch dayan ha-emet, baruch dayan ha-emet. Our hearts pour out to all those who lost loved ones and to those still fighting for their lives in the hospitals. We want to thank so many who did so much yesterday.
14: A mighty congregation that is composed of seekers, learners, lovers, and doers. I thought we were the most Hamish congregation, Jonathan. <laughs> we'll discuss. <laughs> Our Hamish nature has always been inviting and inclusive. Our egalitarian spirit allows all to participate and grow through Torah values, to probe and question our actions and responses as Jews, and to embrace our differences with respect and tolerance. I am numb. If I weren't out of town celebrating Shabbat with my family yesterday, I would have been in the building We are shaken, sickened, and suffering, not just by our own tragedy of loss and injury, but for all those who share the Tree of Life building. Hatred and anti-Semitism are not old thoughts, and they're not new thoughts. They just never seem to go away. And we will pray for those who are clinging to life, And with your support, love, and friendship, we will continue to do the work of our people, making our community better, brighter, and filled with acts of loving kindness and mitzvot. Am Yisrael Chayim.
15: Of life, I'm a victim. I'm a survivor. I'm a mourner. I lay in bed last night, I couldn't sleep. Surprise. And in usually times like this, I'll turn to the Psalms. They immediately started thinking, "Ezra, me'im Hashem, o I turn my eyes to the heavens. Where will my help come? My help comes from God, maker of heaven and earth. So God, why us? Why couldn't he turn his car a different direction? I began services at 9.45. The shooting started a few minutes after. There were 12 of us in the sanctuary at that time. And as it's customary in the Jewish faith, but I've also seen it in other faiths. All the early people come and sit in the back. <laughs> My holy place has been defiled. We will rebuild. I thought to myself the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Well, God, I want. What I want, you can't give me. You can't return these 11 beautiful souls. You can't rewind the clock. So how do I rectify my dilemma with this Psalm? What I want, you can't give me. But it it says, I shall not want. If you turn later in the saw, we read, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. My texts, my emails, my Facebook, overflow with love from strangers people I've never met, people who are not from the United States, but from all around the world, Jewish, Christian, Muslim, all with the same message. We are here from you. My cup overflows with love. That's how you defeat hate. You as a community have shown that to me. I'm an immigrant. I'm from New York. <laughs> I've only been here maybe more than a year. But I've learned in that short period of time what Mayor Peduto had said so beautifully, that this is a community that cares. We won't let hate beat us down. We will rebuild to be a stronger tree, offering a new light, Offering a door, a new generation, so that collectively people will come and say, Wow, that's how you're supposed to live your life.
0: the end, you heard the Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra playing Eli Eli, the poem by the Hungarian martyr Hanna Senesch, set to music by the Israeli composer David Zahavi. I'm Mark Oppenheimer in New York, and this has been Unorthodox. To hear more Unorthodox, please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. We would welcome your feedback. Please write to us at unorthodox at tabletmag.com or leave us a voicemail at 914-570-4869. Unorthodox would like to offer a major thank you to Lou and Amy Weiss for welcoming us into your home, also letting us set up recording equipment in your dining room and feeding Liel and Stephanie some delicious chili. Also to their daughter, Barry, for her help in getting us set up in Pittsburgh. The voices you heard throughout this episode belong to people who graciously shared their stories with us at a very difficult time. We'd like to thank Jeremy Feinstein, Ben Ross, Elise Schreiber, Maxine Horn, Jess Nock, Rabbi Sam Weinberg, Rabbi Chazan Jeffrey Myers of Tree of Life Orla Simcha, Rabbi Cheryl Klein of Dor Hadash, Rabbi Daniel Schiff, Eileen Cohen, Barb Fike, Stacey and Todd Stuffelbeam, David Zahel, Yonatan Talud, who connected us with David Zahel, Kathy Droz, Davida Fromm, and Molly Weiss. For further support and assistance in Pittsburgh, we'd like to thank Brian Schreiber and Kathy Samuels at the Pittsburgh Jewish Community Center, and also Merrill Ainsman, Abby Schachter, Mallory Kazdan, Nancy Johnson, Beth Kisileff, Leo Katzman, and Dina Kraft. And a thank you to the entire Tablet staff in Pittsburgh and back in New York City, above all to producers Josh Cross, Shira Telushkin, and Noah Levinson, and to editor Sophia Steinert-Evoy, who all worked very, very hard to make this podcast.
13: Pittsburgh, we love you.